it's time to acknowledge what several listeners have pointed out to me, that successful innovation is rarely the product of one individual. It needs a combination of ideas and implementation. The perfectionist and the pragmatist, the inventor and the entrepreneur. And so in this episode, we'll hear about a rather unusual father and son team originating in Hong Kong. It's a story of innovation that has taken decades to reach this point. And now, after a lot of persistence and persuasion, it's an impressive startup incubated in Cambridge with a young CEO that I think you'll enjoy meeting at this intriguing stage in his innovator's journey. You're listening to The Innovator's Journey, a podcast about the lives and careers of creative people, technology, and the future of work, with your host, Jonathan Winter. Abiel Ma, hello and welcome to The Innovator's Journey. Thank you very much. Good to see you again. How would you describe what you do and why you care about it? I am the co-founder and CEO of Huala. Uh, what we do is we automatically separate food waste from other waste and turn the food waste into energy. The problem is kind of like personal to me, uh, maybe because of my previous experience seeing a land view in person, and I deeply care about the environment as well. So um, that's why we do this thing, I would say. Great. I'm really excited to hear something about waste recycling, such an important issue globally, isn't it? Okay, now this podcast is called The Innovator's Journey, and I'm keen to start by hearing about your personal and career journey. So where does the ABL Ma story begin? I was born and raised in Hong Kong. Um, I grew up over there up till when I was 16, 17. I then came to the UK for uni. Um, I studied law in the beginning, eventually turned into international business and energy transition. I also um, then did further master's in law and master in entrepreneurship, specializing in clean tech as well. Eventually started my career in PwC, worked for a while in corporate, then worked in consultancy for a period as well. Um, and then eventually was like, I'm going to pursue the startup journey. And then started two companies before Huala and here I am. Wow, that's quite a journey, Abiel. And um, if you don't mind me asking, how old are you now? Uh, I'm 25 this year. Okay, you packed in a lot by the time you got to 25. Can, can I just sort of wind you back to the beginning of that story in Hong Kong? I'm intrigued to, to hear a little bit more about that. Uh, I think you described to me that growing up in Hong Kong was quite competitive. I think that was the word you used. Yes. So it's extremely competitive. Imagine a, a small city that have 8 million people. Um, it's highly competitive. We compete in, in going to the best primary school, even kindergarten. We compete into getting the best uh, of the secondary school. And eventually, we compete uh, into getting into one of the uh, top three uni. Um, so imagine that many people getting into only three uni. Um, it's, it's really hard. Wow. Yeah. T tell me a story about that. When I was young, we are required not only to study uh, really hard, but at the same time, we have to learn at least one sports and one music in order to be extra competitive. Uh, because when everyone is very good at their studies, you have to have something even more to offer. So in terms of sports, I used to play volleyball. In terms of music, I used to be a conductor and a classical violinist. Um, and that's how my personal interest started, I would say. And that's, I mean, you know, violin is not the easiest instrument to learn. Yeah, yes, but um, 
yeah, I, I was really passionate in terms of music when I was young. So I played in orchestra, I played in ensembles, strings, quartet. Um, and then for my own orchestra when I was young with some of my friends. And yeah, it's it's kind of like like good to have as a hobby, I would say. It sounds quite entrepreneurial the way you approach that as well. And uh, I think you, you told me that uh, actually you've always been entrepreneurial and I, I, the phrase you used was tinkering with things. Uh, yes, I, I wasn't typically the, the kind of like good student in Hong Kong. Um, I wasn't always the best in my class. I wasn't the top in my, in my form. And I don't really like studying, but I mean, I have to because it's highly competitive. Even though I study Chinese history, history, math, and geography as my core modules, I frequently pursue it in science competitions. So I used to invent stuff with my friends. Uh, I still remember the first time we invented stuff is to tore apart a microwave and turn it into like a desalination system, water purification system. Really? Yeah. <laughs> it, it doesn't work. It doesn't work. <laughs> but, <laughs> it, doesn't, but, it doesn't sound entirely safe, Abiel. It's not safe at all. So it's not safe to like tore apart like a microwave. But then I, I use that to apply to a lot of science competitions. Eventually we won some of them and, and then we went on the local TV uh, stations uh, talking about it. Uh, it was a crazy journey. But then I came to realize that I, I was kind of like an innovator or an entrepreneur when I was young. Yeah. What did you learn from all that? I learned how to fail. I learned that success is not by luck. It's not um, a day. It's not two days. It's not a week. It's not a month. It's not even a year. It's a very long journey. And you know, a lot of people think that um, a good idea is the most important thing or a great team is the most important thing. From my perspective, I think not giving up, determination is the most important thing because ultimately, if you have like a semi-good idea and you have like a pretty good team, Eventually, if you work on something long enough and you don't give up, you're going to have some results. Maybe not success, but results and progress. So that's what I learned, I would say. You traveled as well as you were growing up, didn't you, outside of Hong Kong. Tell me about your adventurous travels and what you learned from those. I really enjoyed traveling, maybe because I was born and raised in Hong Kong in a very multicultural city. I started traveling when I was young, uh, when I was like, I think, half a year old. So my parents brought me to Japan <laughs> when I was in my baby trolley. Um, and then eventually my, my parents always take me to different kind of places, Europe as well, where my father did his PhD in Queens, uh, QUB in Belfast. So we started in Belfast and we eventually stopped into other European countries in Western Europe. And then uh, that's how kind of like that eye-opening journey um, discovered traveling from my perspective. Uh, because I was a classical musician, I then used to perform in the Golden Hall in Vienna. So that was my second trip as well. I go to music tours uh, with the orchestra. And eventually, when I grow up a little bit more, I then travel alone. So I went to different kind of places. Um, for example, India, Thailand, um, Abu Dhabi, Singapore. But tell me about that trip to India. I think you described a particular experience around waste that influenced you. It's my first time that I see poverty in real life, face-to-face, -face, right in front of me. It's also the first time I see a landfill in front of me as well. It's, it's quite an experience, I would say. It's a very personal experience. Uh, and I, I haven't seen a landfill site in India. Tell me about it. It's, it's like mountains, piles and mountains of rubbish. Um, it smells, that kind of smell, it's kind of like a lot of dead animals. 
um, and a lot of weird gas smell uh, all combined in one. Okay, I'm I'm trying to imagine, and it's not it's not pleasant. It's and not pleasant at all. Yeah. Tell me not. about the people you saw as well. I saw kids standing on the piles of mountains of rubbish, using their hand to sort out the waste. They're doing two things. Either they're helping the waste collection company to sort out the waste for so-called recycling, or they are trying to find semi-intact uh, food for them for the, to feed their families. So it's a really <laughs> quite an experience, I would say. Now, when we come to talk about Voila and what you're doing now, it's about food waste recycling, isn't it? And um, one of the things that interests me about your story is the relationship between you and your father and his involvement in the business. Uh, So tell me about your dad. Tell me his story as well, because he's very much a part of this innovation journey. Yes. So my dad is my role model since I was young. He is now the CTO of Voila. Um, and both of us are co-founders. So Anthony spent the last 20 to 30 years of his career in Hong Kong, heading one of the uh, labs and, and government institution in terms of R&D. What influenced you and influenced him in your sort of background in Hong Kong? Because I don't think he was a wealthy uh, Hong Kongese, was he? Being born in the 60s in Hong Kong, he wasn't particularly wealthy. Not to mention, he come from a really, really humble beginning. So he used to share one bed with five of his family members, including his siblings and also parents. My grandfather uh, was a cook. Uh, he was a street vendor selling noodles. So my dad, when he was young, he understand that knowledge can change someone's future. Um, and he sincerely believed in education. He still told me that um, his primary school was not actually a school. It was a rooftop, like, tutor class. I would have only a few plastic chairs on a rooftop. But then it kind of, like, inspired him to pursue his education journey, eventually to uni as well, and to doing a master's. And eventually, while working, he self-funded himself to do a PhD. Eventually, he went into environmental engineering. Um, he went into waste recycling. And he spent decades trying to build innovations in technology to help the world to become a better place. The name Hong Kong originally comes from the words for fragrant harbor, and that was from the incense burning around the harbor, wasn't it? Um, yep. So I have a sense that your father is helping to kind of bring back the name of Hong Kong to a city, which for a while had some kind of smelly water around it, because that was, that was what he was working on, wasn't it? It was, uh, yes. it was cleaning up the water. Yes, he was. My dad was involved in helping to improve the water quality of the Victoria Harbour in Hong Kong. So although we have a pretty good skyline and a very touristy skyline, the water wasn't really great. And it was really affecting tourism. And then out of uh, environmental concern, the government want to improve the water quality. They then form uh, people from different professionals from the industry and try to solve this problem. And then uh, basically my dad was involved in the very beginning and up till um, significantly improving the water quality and the smell of the harbour hot today. Tell me the story of how you and your dad came to work together. So I was working in consultancy at that time. So we basically helped listed companies in Hong Kong to scout for technologies uh, in terms of sustainability and ESG. And I randomly go to one of the events and lectures. And then I think I walked into the wrong room 
for some reason. It doesn't make sense at the beginning. But then when I sat there, I saw a familiar face, which was my dad. So I was very confused. So you accidentally walked into a lecture which was being given by your dad? Yes. I think he was actually helping a colleague which was calling sick. So it was even more random. Um, and then, yeah, next thing I know, I stayed there for like uh, an hour or two, understand exactly firsthand what he did for the last decade, which I haven't had a chance to talk about. Because it's kind of like weird to talk about work at home in a very in-depth way. So it's my very first time to understand what he did. And then what? How did this progress? Oh, and then it basically progressed into a three-year-long discussion and negotiation. So I was bombarding him nearly every single day to quit his job for 35 years um, to join me in my crazy idea to build a startup tackling waste. It was just an idea. Uh, obviously, he said no in the beginning, but eventually I set up certain milestones, including persuading him that if I were to do a degree in Cambridge to research on your technology, uh, could I do it? Um, he said no again. And then I said, okay, what if I get funding from different funding bodies? For example, like Innovate UK, the UK government. Um, then can you quit your job? And then he said, no. And then I did a feasibility study on every single London postcode to prove that there's a market. And yeah, combining all things at one, and he eventually said yes. And then he even moved in um, to the UK with me. Wow, fantastic. Yeah, it sounds like a, a, a difficult colleague to hire and persuade. <laughs> <laughs> but what a great team. It's, it's a fantastic story. Thank you. Is there anything else from your own journey uh, that has particularly influenced you or that you'd like to highlight? Um, I would say that, um, yeah, my, uh, our religion is also one of the most important things. So I was born and raised a Christian. My parents are not born uh, a Christian, but then eventually they became a Christian. So we, the, the Christian value, it's very personal to us and eventually inspire us to, to make the world a better place. Um, and that's why we did this thing, I would say, the innovation. Out of all things, out of waste. <laughs> that's yes. really interesting. Good. Okay. So now before we talk about Voila and the innovation itself, I asked you to think of an artifact that represents your creative journey. What have you chosen, Abiel? I would say violin, which um, basically is the instrument that I play. And different people have different kind of perspective towards how you interpret a musical instrument. Um, an innovative journey is like exactly the same. And people nowadays all around the world are facing similar problems. For example, food waste. Food waste is everywhere. Uh, it really depends on how you interpret the situation, how you think about it, and how to use, your, for, for example, your own instruments, for our case, our innovation, to interpret the whole situation and how to solve the exact same, same problem, uh, which have certain different outcomes. So I, I would say that violin really <laughs> inspired me. Great, thank you. I love the parallels you're making between uh, musical interpretation and the journey of an entrepreneur. That's great. So uh, we'll be back shortly to talk about the work you're doing now and your vision for how the work of a science-based entrepreneur is going to change in the future. You're listening to The Innovator's Journey, a podcast about the lives and careers of creative people, technology, and the future of work with your host, Jonathan Winter. Abiel Ma, the innovation we're featuring today is your startup company called Voila, which I believe comes from the French, Voila. It's spelled V-U-A-L-A. Tell us, first of all, fundamentally, what is the problem you're solving? The problem that we're solving, on a very high level, 
is the global food waste problem. The more in-depth problem that we're solving is that food waste is a messy problem. It smells, and once it's mixed with any other thing, it makes everything extremely hard to recycle. Can you give us any indication of the scale of the problem worldwide? So to put it into perspective, one third of the food produced globally are wasted. And just by the UK, uh, we produce 9.5 million tons of food waste every single year. Are we getting better at it? Um, I mean, we have 20% uh, recycling rate for <laughs> the, the, the industry um, and commercial sectors. But, but then the UK is passing uh, a lot of regulations. They're trying to set up agency in order to solve this problem. So in 2021, the House of Parliament passed the Environmental Act, which essentially requires everyone to collect food waste separately for recycling. So we're slightly improving, but not in the scale that we'll get into our get into the net zero target anytime soon. Right. And tell me about Voila and your innovation and what it is designed to do. So Voila is a company that is making food waste recycling easy. Um, our innovation, which is called the Voila X1, it automatically separate food waste from any other waste and turn the food waste into energy. And this is a machine that is not aimed at you or, you or me in our homes, is it? So it's not for domestic food waste recycling, it's for businesses. Tell me what the problem is like for a business that's trying to recycle. What kind of business is your customer? Our customers are B2B food waste producers. For example, hotels, big restaurants, um, universities, office buildings, catering facilities. So the problem that they're having is they're in a dilemma. They have two situations. Number one situation is they're people-facing businesses. They can't afford to have smell of the food waste, which means that they need frequent pickup of the food waste. They're paying a very high fee to collect the food waste because everything is being done laboriously. It hasn't changed for like 50 years. And the problem specific to food is that it smells. You, you seem to be very sensitive to smells, which is useful, I think, for the rest of us. And so that affects the frequency of collection. And what is it typically every week or what? Depending on where you are, for example, if you're in London, in the city of Westminster, in touristy places, you have to collect, for example, two times a day. And the economics of your solution allows people to keep the food waste for longer so the collection is less frequent and the costs go down. Is that right? Yes. So, for example, conventionally, if we were to, on average, once per week collection, we can do once per month collection, even longer, because we treat the food waste on site, we keep them in an airtight tank and uh, of course take away some of the smell to allow them to pick up in, in a very less frequent way. Okay, tell me about the essence of your innovation then. What is novel or difficult about what you're doing? We're combining both mechanical and also biochemical um, into uh, one solution, I would say. So we're building a hardware product that sits on the location of B2B food waste producers on site treating the food waste. And then we put microorganisms inside the mechanical system. Essentially, we're creating an artificial stomach that digests food waste and take away the smell on site. So this is something that would normally happen off site, presumably. We, we have our waste, we don't do anything to it, it gets transported off site, and then somewhere there, there's a biological process that's used to break it down. Um, yes. So normally, we're being sent to uh, industrial plants uh, on the outskirts of a city. Uh, there's something called anaerobic digestion plants. They sort out your food waste on site in the plants, and then they use the food waste to produce methane, which eventually produce biogas, uh, electricity, and so on. 
And is your process an anaerobic process as well? No, we're not. We're an aerobic digestion, which means that we don't produce an excess amount of air during our process. So it's safer and more decentralized. And you said it mechanically separates as well. So, um, I mean, we're supposed to separate out food waste, don't we? Presumably business is the same. They're supposed to separate out food waste. Is that just not happening well enough? Or, or why do you need this separation? Think about your peak lunch hour. You're in the middle of a queue in a restaurant. You're trying to dump your half-eaten um, stuff into the bin and you have a queue behind you. Even though you're extremely environmental conscious, sometimes because of time, because of pressure, because you accidentally did something, um, basically, the main outcome is people don't fully separate them. And even if they do, something accidentally go in, the, the 10 people in front of you just wasted their whole effort of separating the whole thing. Now, with any uh, issue that is very, very common, one question I think it's good to ask is, why hasn't this been done before? Has it been solved before? Food waste has been being solved by a lot of companies for like decades already. For the most labor-intensive part, they use hand sorting mechanism to sort out the food waste from the other waste uh, for recycling. Um, in a more primitive and technological advanced way is incineration. They burn everything. It's very, very energy consumption. There are also other companies that is doing composting, digesting, but no one is doing the auto separation part. So this is the novelty in terms of what we do. Um, although that we're solving the same problem as so many other different com companies, but it's a very completely different way, which proven to be quite effective, I would say, so far. Great, yeah. Now tell me about your experience so far with the business. It's a fairly new business, isn't it? Um, yep. What has the journey been like? What's been most challenging in getting the business going? The company is around one year and nine months old. It's extremely young. Um, I think nearly two years ago, my dad and I was building our first prototype. At the same time, we're growing in a very significant pace. So we've scaled our team from one to seven. We're very lucky to get team members that are really good at what they do, but at the same time has a shared passion of what we have. And it's just simply grateful to have them on board. Eventually we scale the innovation to around 10 sites all across the UK, specifically in London and Cambridge. Five are paying, five are trials. We um, were going to COP28 to showcase Fala. So yeah, it's, I would say it's pretty good for real. What have you learned about innovation so far? The word innovation has to combine both a market need, a product market fit, and also the technology. Technology, by the end of the day, is just a tool for your company to grow, for your company to solve a problem. You can't focus too much on technology itself, or else you can't really solve a problem. You, you won't be a solution. You will be a technology. So that's the core thing that I've learned about innovation, I would say. And, and you've... Um managed to achieve both the elements of innovation, the technical innovation and the entrepreneurial side, um, essentially by combining your skills with your father. How is that relationship working out as a team relationship? I would say that we're still learning by mistakes <laughs> day by day, but my dad and I is a very interesting combo, I would say. A lot of people think that, okay, uh, normally it's like a dad running a business and then persuade the sons to join or the son eventually inherit the business, a family business. But for our case, it's completely the other way around. Um, I am a very outgoing person. I like talking to customers. I like to understand what they think. And then I try to communicate the idea back to the team to fully understand what kind of problem that we're solving. Uh, my dad is a technologist. He's a scientist. He developed 
innovations. And it's very, very important that we two combine our own perspective, not only towards the business, but the technology itself and the market. And I mean, it's so far going great. So I actually persuaded him to move to the UK and move in with me. This is just your dad or other family members too? Oh, my dad, my parents, my dad and my mom. So it's quite an experience. It's really good. That's quite something. Tell tell me uh, what happens when you have a a disagreement. What sort of things create tension? Tension can be created by a lot of things. Sometimes by hiring. My dad always wants the best people and and pay them uh, the highest amount in the market. Sometimes uh, small little things like this can create tension as well. For example, which kind of investor do we get on board? But because we're a father and son duo, and we're very close since we're, we're young, since I was young. Yes. Um, so, and we communicate very straightforward, which typically, I don't know, from my understanding, it isn't the case in a typical family in Hong Kong. So, so there's a high level of trust between you. Yes, an extremely high level of trust. And how do you resolve those questions then? So basically, we do something called endpoint management. We always try to find out the result that we want to do, we want to achieve, and then we move back one step, each and every single step backwards to understand what we should be doing. And then we compare our opinions, compare our plans, and then we try to to solve the problem. And we also have a so-called principle, is that no matter what we do, no matter what kind of arguments that we have at work, once we came back home, then we stop arguing. Then we try to solve the problem before sunset, before we get to home by the end of the day. Okay, well, Abel, let's move on to the final part of our discussion then, which is about the future and the future of work. I'm really interested, especially because of the generation that you're in, I'm interested to hear about uh, your views. And before we talk about the future itself, can you tell me a bit about how you're working today? Um, what, what technologies are you using? What working methods are you using? Management methods? Is there anything that you would highlight as being you know, perhaps a younger generation approach to work? So just like 90% of the people, I use ChatGPT. Um, um, I use different kind of AI tools. I use something called AutoParse, which is a data scraping tool to understand okay. the data metrics. For example, what grants, which grants do you want to apply? Uh, what kind of customer in your customer segments? And it saves a lot of time. Um, half of our team sometimes work remotely because we believe in effectiveness. So instead of traveling for an hour to the office and traveling back to home, why don't you just spend one more hour um, resting and then you, you become a more happier person. And what's your vision for work, let's say in, in three to five years time, how will work be different? When I started to work in PwC as an entry-level audit trainee, I already heard in conferences that part of our job will be replaced. Eventually, when I moved into consultancy and when I studied law, exactly the same happened as well. So I think that entry-level jobs, especially in the professional sector, will certainly be replaced to a certain extent. How will people learn uh, their profession if there are fewer entry-level jobs? I think it's to really develop your own passion. Think about what kind of problem that you want to solve. Do you actually have a solution for it? If you have a solution, because starting a business is extremely easy and cost-efficient nowadays, even in comparison to five years ago. So I would say that if you want, and if you're young, start something. That being said, I still recommend if you have the opportunity to do an internship or start your career in an, an entry-level job in a corporate world in a very big structured organization, get the training. And then eventually after like a year or two, just try to pursue your own idea if you're young. Great. 
Yeah, and you talked about technology before. I, I'm interested to know your view on what is the work that humans need to do if there is going to be so much more done by technology. I would say design and thinking. Uh, design as in like design um, human-centered innovations um, or strategy thinking as in like thinking of, for example, like how the company can go, uh, what kind of innovations can you do in the future? So I think that humans will not be replaced by AI, but obviously some types of human jobs will be replaced by AI. So in order to stay ahead, be creative, be innovative, think about something ahead that you can do, create something from the start. That's really interesting. And, and your point about design is interesting, I think, because what I get from you is that our job is to understand the human experience. And because we are human, that is going to be something that we can do exceptionally well, and then use that understanding of the human experience as the basis for designing solutions. Yes, exactly. So talk to people, understand what do they need, communicate their thinking, and then think from a human perspective and design something human, I would say. Okay, so as we come to an end then, I've got a couple of concluding questions for you. If you were giving advice to someone younger than yourself, what wise advice would you give? Start early, fail early. Don't be afraid to fail because you will fail no matter how successful you are. And when you look back, your failure means nothing after like two years, even one month afterwards. Um, be determined, don't give up, and you get progress. And even so, you might be successful one day. <laughs> okay, my second and final question then. If you could write a slogan on a giant billboard with your advice for the world, what would you say? Create something that is good for our future and use innovation. If you try 50% success rate, if you don't try 100% failure. So why don't you just try it? <laughs> yeah. Abiel Mart, thank you so much for sharing your story, your innovation, uh, the way you and your dad have been such a team as innovators, and also for sharing your vision for the future of work. Thank you very much. Thank you for having me. Thank you for listening to The Innovator's Journey with me, Jonathan Winter. If you enjoyed today's story, do share it with your friends and colleagues and subscribe to make sure you hear future episodes. This podcast was recorded in Riverside, edited and transcribed automatically in Descript, with algorithmic music from SoundDraw and artwork generated with DAL-E. The rest was human. Human.